Last week we were introduced to Samson's character. We started the story of Samson two weeks ago, but he wasn't born yet. Last week we got introduced to who Samson was. Samson was a, a, a hero, or at least a hero to be, for the Israelites around 1100 BC, set apart before birth, consecrated to the Lord to deliver the Israelites from their slavery to the Philistines. Uh, the, the Philistines were a, a group, a nation that hung, hugged the Mediterranean Sea and was directly east, uh, west of Jerusalem. And by God's will, they overtook the Israelites and enslaved them. And so God sent Samson to be this deliverer, this hero, and he blessed him with this a massive amount of strength. And yet what we saw last week was Samson was probably a guy that we wouldn't want to hang out with. Uh, morally corrupt. He did what he wanted to do instead of what God wanted him to do. He continued to do what was right in his eyes instead of what was right in God's eyes. But last week, what did we also highlight? We highlighted God's mercy, his grace, and his patience with his chosen ones. But doesn't God's patience have to run out eventually? Eventually, doesn't God say, enough? What we're going to see is, yes, God does. And we're going to see Samson fall hard today. And so the question we want to ask ourselves is, when we are in rock bottom, when somebody hits rock bottom, does God have a role for people then? I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know if you've hit rock bottom before. I don't know if you're in rock bottom. I don't know if you're five minutes away from hitting rock bottom. But this is an important question for all of us to answer. Does God have a role for people who hit rock bottom? That's what we're going to look at as we begin Judges chapter 16. Here's what we're told. One day, Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. The people of Gaza were told, Samson is here. So they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. They made no move during the night, saying, At dawn we'll kill him. But Samson lay there only until the middle of the night. Then he got up and took hold of the, the doors of the city gate, together with the two posts, and tore them loose, bar and all. He lifted them to his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Let's stop right there. Samson does what? We continue to see that Samson does what he wants as he goes and spends the night with a prostitute. Where? In Gaza. The capital city of the Philistines. He's not just behind enemy lines. He went to the very capital city just walking around doing what he wants to do. The arrogance is beginning to grow in Samson. I can do what I want, go where I want. Nothing is going to hurt me. And notice what he does. In the middle of the night, he gets up and he goes to the, the city gate and completely rips the city gate off its hinges. Some commentators say that uh, a city gate was probably a couple tons. And so you see the massive amount of strength that he has, that he picks it up and then he carries it up a hill and he tosses it on top of a hill that faces Hebron. Hebron was a Jewish town. The massive amount of strength. 
But also, you see the massive amount of arrogance rising in Samson. Here's what happens next. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can, how, uh, we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. Approximately all of them combined, probably 15 years worth of wages. Delilah looks and says, 15 years worth of pay? Yeah, I'll, I'll do that. So Delilah said to Samson, Tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Samson answered her, If anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I'll become weak as any other man. Then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she tied them with them, and he tied him with them. With men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the bowstrings as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. Samson is having fun with Delilah, right? What's the secret to your great strength? Oh, you've got to tie me up with these bowstrings. The scary thing? She does it! She does it! Samson, look at what Delilah is trying to do. You know she's trying to get rid of your strength. Run. Run, Samson. But he doesn't. Here's what we're told. Then Delilah said to Samson, You have made a fool of me. You lied to me. Come now, tell me how you can be tied. He said, If anyone ties me securely with new ropes that have never been used, I'll become weak as any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and tied him with them. Then with men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the ropes off his arms as if they were threads. All right, Samson, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me, right? Run. It's obvious what she's trying to do. Don't play with fire. Don't play with fire. But Samson's just way too arrogant. So uh, Delilah then said to Samson, all this time you've been making a fool of me and lying to me. Tell me how you can be tied. He replied, if you weave the seven braids of my hair into the fabric on the loom and tighten it with a pin, I'll become as weak as any other man. So while he was sleeping, Delilah took his seven, the seven braids of his head, wove them into the fabric, and tightened it with a pin. And she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and pulled up the pin in the loom with the fabric. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you have made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. Three times, she says, tell me the secret of your great strength. Three times, he messes with her. And three times, she goes through with what he says. It's so obvious to you and me what she's doing, right? Why doesn't Samson get it? Remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10. If you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Unfortunately for Samson, he didn't run. But he falls. 
you fall apart. Here's what we're told. Verse 17. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I've been a Nazarite de dedicated to God from my mother's womb. My head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become weak as any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines. Come back once more, he, he has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands. After putting him to sleep in her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair, so began to subdue him, and his strength left him. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out, go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shekels, they set him to grinding grain in the prison. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. He didn't learn. Samson fell, and he fell hard. Once so strong, once so arrogant, once so heroic, now he is weak, he is subdued, and the Philistines even gouge out his eyes, so now he's blind. Once a hero, now a slave. Weak. Why didn't he run? I, I think, honestly, because he didn't believe that even if she shaved his head, he would lose his strength. He, how many of his Nazarite vows has he broken up until this point? He's touched dead bodies. Uh, he's done what he's wanted to do. Uh, he's probably drank alcohol at this point. And nothing has happened up until this point, so why would this be any different? Shave my head. The strength resides in me. It's no big deal. And yet God said, enough. Enough. And out of love for Samson's soul, he let Samson hit rock bottom. And so what do we learn? It's your first point this morning. Pride comes before the fall, or pride goes before the fall. Pride goes before the fall. And that's what we see in, in Samson. So arrogant, thinking he is strong enough. He can handle it. He can play with fire. He can toe the line. He can get close to temptation. It's no big deal. He's strong enough. But he falls. And he falls hard. You know, as you read chapter 16, did any of you just want to kind of do this? Samson, come on. Get with it. You know what she's trying to do. Just run. And yet, do you think people look at us and do this? Do you think God up in heaven looks down and says, Stephen, run. Absolutely. Pride goes before the fall. I'll give you an example of what this looks like. It's just a little texting. It's no big deal. I'm strong enough to fight it. It's not going to lead to adultery. It's just a little bit of texting. It's okay. It's just one or two drinks a night. It's not alcoholism. 
It's not going to lead to that. I'm not an alcoholic. I've got control over it. It's just a little bit of gambling. It's not a big deal. I have the strength to endure it. It's not going to get out of hand. It's just a little fudging of the numbers this month. It's just a little fudging. It's, it's okay. It's not going to become a regular thing. It's just a little bit of bitterness in my heart. I'm not going to let it get out of control. I just like to feel that bitterness every once in a while. I'm going to leave it there. I'm strong enough. If you want to hit rock bottom, have that attitude that says, I would never do that. Have the attitude of, I can play with temptation, I can play with fire and get close, and everything's going to be okay because I'm strong enough. That was Samson's uh, mindset. You look at Samson, why didn't he run? I'm strong enough. I can handle it. It's no big deal. But he falls. And he falls hard. And he hits rock bottom. And then the Philistines add insult to injury. Here's what we're told. Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, to celebrate, saying, Our god has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. Uh, real quick, if you want to hear one of the, what I would consider one of the most ridiculous gods in all the Bible, Dagon. It's a fish body with a human head, and they bow down and worship this thing. To me, that's just absolutely ridiculous. But I'm sure other cultures look at the gods that we have and say, your gods are utterly ridiculous. But this is the god that the Philistines come to worship. They come to have a big festival to this fish body, human head. And here's what they do. Now, the, uh, when the people saw him, they praised their god, saying, Our god has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. You want to hear some irony of what was happening with Samson? Where did they place Samson after they subdued him? They placed him walking in circles, grinding the grain. Do you remember what he said in chapter 15 after he killed everyone with a donkey's jawbone? With a donkey's jawbone, I've made donkeys out of them. And now Samson was doing the work of a donkey, walking in the circle, running the machine, grinding the grain. And now, at this festival, they say, hey, you know what? We've been drinking. Let's bring out Israel's hero. And let's mock him and make fun of him. Let's make him dance for us. Let's entertain us, Samson. While they were high in spirits, they shouted, bring Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them. When they stood, uh, when they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, Put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple so I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there. Uh, and the, the temple was crowded with men and... Uh, and the, I'm sorry. And on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson reached out 
toward the two pi central pillars on which the temple stood. Bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left on the other, Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than while he lived. Then his brothers and father's whole family went down to get him. They brought him back and buried him between Zorah and Ashtol in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had led Israel 20 years. Samson gets called out to dance for the people, to entertain, adding insult to injury. Once so strong, now weak, now blind, now a puppet. And yet here, what do we see in Samson? We see an absolute change of heart, don't we? Notice what he calls God in prayer. Sovereign Lord. That's the name the Lord gave himself when he calls himself the kind, compassionate, gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. He cast himself at the mercy of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the covenant God who promised a Savior from their line. And in the Lord, he found forgiveness. And he prayed, Lord, give me strength one last time. He puts his hands on those two pillars and he pushes. And all the Philistines die as the temple falls down on them. And so does Samson. The greatest moment of Samson's life, his death. The most triumphant moment of Samson's life, his death. Does it remind you of someone else? How about Jesus? 1,100 years later, Jesus lived. Now, there's a lot of differences between Samson and Jesus, but there are a lot of similarities here that I can't help but see. Number one, Samson betrayed by Delilah for money. Jesus betrayed by Judas for money. The sad part is, Judas betrayed the Son of God for three months' worth of wages, while Delilah got 15 years' worth for Samson. Betrayal. We see that they both were chained, tortured, asked to perform. Samson did perform, Jesus didn't. We see that they both looked like they were overcome by their enemies. Samson overcome by the Philistines, Jesus overcome by the, the Jewish people, and more importantly, it looked like he was overcome by Satan and death. Both of them, through their death, dismantled their enemies. This was a turning point for the Israelites. The Philistines were no longer going to be in control of uh, the Israelites as strong as they had been. And when Jesus died, he completely dismantled the power of Satan, of death, and sin. At the cross, he paid for the sins of the world, and death is a consequence of sin. The devil can't stand before God and, pr and prosecute you for anything. You are forgiven through Jesus because he dismantled their power. And then finally, both of them went in alone. 
Samson went into battle alone. Jesus went into battle alone. And through their death, they were triumphant. But there's a very big difference between, between Samson and Jesus. Samson was in his position because he hit rock bottom because of his own doing. Jesus was in his position because of my wrongdoing. Because of yours. Because of the world's. And Jesus went to the cross to dismantle the power of Satan, not for himself, but for you and me and the entire world. And in him, there is forgiveness. This is what we learned from Samson. Here's your second point. In the Lord, there is forgiveness and restoration. Samson is weak. He is chained. He has nothing left to offer, nothing to prove. He can't say, God, look at me. Here's what I have to give you. No, he's got nothing. All he can do is cast himself at the mercy of the God of his ancestors, the sovereign Lord. And there he finds forgiveness. And the same is true for you and me. Here's how Psalm 130 puts it. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness. If God kept a record of sins, would Samson have any luck whatsoever? Any chance of standing in God's sight? No. But in the Lord, there is forgiveness. And that's what Samson came to know. And that's what you and I need to know, too. If and when we hit rock bottom, we need to realize that even then, in rock bottom, whatever we've done to cause it, there is forgiveness through Jesus. There is mercy and grace through our Lord Jesus. In the Lord, there is forgiveness. And it's because of what Jesus accomplished for you and me at the cross. And if that's all God gave us, that would be more than we could ever ask for. But God does more here. Notice, Samson prays what? Lord, give me strength one more time. What's he praying? God, restore me to my position as your consecrated one. Restore me to be judge of Israel so that I can do what you've put me on this earth to do, which is lead the Israelites out of slavery from sin. Restore me back to my position. And God gives him the strength to push down those pillars. You know, a lot of times I think we have the mindset of Peter. We, we looked at Peter in John chapter 21. That, that when we fall and we hit rock bottom, that we need a timeout from God. That, that we need to be put in the penalty box, do our time, and, and, and God, I can't really serve you right now. I need to prove my worth. And God says, no, no, no. In the Lord there is forgiveness and restoration. In, forgive, in the Lord, God restores us back to that position where we are restored, forgiven. Our record is clean. We're, we're at peace with God. And God says, come, be restored and serve me once again. And this is all from the Lord. And think of the peace that brings to you and me. When we fall and we hit rock bottom, normally there's one or of two reactions. Number one, we are overwhelmingly motivated to prove to God that we deserve to be serving Him. And we go out and we try to prove it and it all rests on us. Or number two, 
we fall into despair. There's no way that God could ever want me to serve him once again. But in the Lord, there is forgiveness and restoration. It's through him and him alone that we have all of this. And so the pressure is off of us. The pressure is not on you to prove your worth. And you don't have to despair because God says, in me there's forgiveness and restoration. Go. Serve the Lord with gladness. In the Lord there is forgiveness and restoration. That's what we see here with Samson. Does God have a role for those who hit rock bottom? Absolutely. When we cast ourselves at the mercy and grace of God, there we find forgiveness and restoration. And God says, you are forgiven. Go. Serve me once again. Today we're closing up Samson. And uh, as we look at 13, 14, 15, and 16, it's so easy to want to focus on Samson because he's pretty incredible. Incredible strength, agility. Uh, he's shocking. He's uh, offensive. And we want to focus a lot on Samson, what he has done and what he hasn't, did, hasn't done. But instead, let's look at Samson and instead highlight our God. Because as we look at Samson, we can't help but see the mercy, the grace, the love of God through our Lord, Savior, Jesus. That through him, we have forgiveness and restoration. That through him, we have the mercy and grace of God every day of our life. May this motivate us this week. May this give us hope this week, peace this week, that in the Lord there is forgiveness and restoration. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that uh, we don't have to prove our worth to you. We don't have to prove that we can be your servants and, and we have what it takes. And we also thank you that when we mess up, we don't have to despair. Because through your son Jesus, you have forgiven all of our sins. You, you keep no record of wrongs, but instead there is forgiveness and restoration. This week, help us to be at peace. Give us hope, give us comfort, and give us the motivation uh, to live lives for you and to serve you in every aspect that we can. We ask for your grace in this. Amen. Part of tradition in Christian worship is that uh, we say a statement of faith or a creed. And today we're going to say the Nicene Creed, which was written around 325 A.D. And it was written because uh, there were false teachings about who Jesus was. And so they said, let's lay out who Jesus is in a statement of faith. And so what you're going to notice in the Nicene Creed is it's big time focused on who Jesus is. We confess together. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us, Spirit and the Virgin Mary, he became fully human. He was 